0: Uh, lovely to be with you here today, uh, those gathered in the house and those gathered in their house. Really good to see you here and let's pray, shall we, before we begin. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come together and look at your word and learn from you. May your voice be the loudest. May your words bed in and may everything else fall away. In Jesus name. Amen. From the age of about 6 right up to the age of 16 I had a piano lesson every week during term time. Week in, week out my mum drove me round to Mrs McNaught's house and she would teach me scales and arpeggios and sonatas there are 39 weeks in a school year which means that over 10 years, I think my maths is right, I had 390 piano lessons, 390 hours of the slightly scary Mrs. McNaught teaching me piano. So you're thinking, Ali, that's a lot of piano lessons. Why don't we see you on the keyboard... Leading us in worship on a Sunday morning. Well, there's a really, really good reason for that. I'm absolutely terrible at the piano. <laughs> Awful. In ten years, I got to grade one. <laughs> you see, every week, I would listen to my teacher, I'd watch her demonstrate, and I'd dutifully copy what she'd show me. And then my mum would come and pick me up, we'd go home, and life would just sort of carry on as if I hadn't even had a lesson. And every now and then I'd decide I was going to make an effort, I'd make heartfelt promises that this would be the time, that I, would, I would definitely practice from now on, I definitely wouldn't forget, I definitely wouldn't read a book or watch Blue Peter instead. And for a week or so I might manage it. But gradually life would start to get in the way. I'd start to forget. Or I'd prioritise other things, like playing Echo the Dolphin instead of playing E flat major scales, and somehow weeks would go by again when I barely even look at the piano outside of my lessons. I was listening, but I wasn't doing. I was attending once a week. It had no effect on my other days and now my own girls are having piano lessons and guess how willingly and voluntarily they prioritise practising so I suppose that serves me right. (laughs) Our passage in James today takes a look at this idea of listening and doing, of taking our Sundays into our week. And in his own unique way, James joins together a few different mini-themes under the overarching umbrella of what it means to really live as a Christian. To listen and to do. First, James tells us to take note. And this is James' way of making sure we're all listening carefully before he tells us to listen carefully. And I asked Sue to read two versions of our passage this morning, partly to help us listen to it carefully. And partly because I just really love the message, I think it brings it alive in a different way. To really live as Christians, James says, we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and even slower to become angry. And I love how this verse is written in the message. Lead with your ears. Follow up with your tongue and let anger straggle along at the rear. And we all know the cliche, don't we, that you have two ears and only one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we speak, but how many of us actually manage it? I know I don't. My girls, again, we're probably a testament. <laughs> um, Proverbs 12, 18 tells us, rash words are like sword thrusts. And I expect most of us can relate to that. It's so easy, and so tempting sometimes to jump in with a knee-jerk, emotion-driven response before even letting the person we're chatting with finish the sentence. James emphasises the way we speak to each other, probably at least partly, because speech is so easy, it's so immediate, it's so hard to control. It just comes out, doesn't it? For James reining in our quick comebacks to allow time to listen carefully and speak thoughtfully and calmly is evidence of genuine faithfulness even when the person we're speaking with is actually really frustrating as he says human anger doesn't produce the righteousness God desires and so gaining control over our words and our anger is really important but how do we actually do it well I'm sorry but there's no quick fix here there's no magic verse that unlocks the power of genuine listening and locks up the too fast tongue but with practice and determination just like I didn't have with the piano there are things we can do to help first as verse 21 starts we need to empty the rubbish Get rid of all moral filth, James says, or as the original King James Version says, lay apart all superfluity of naughtiness. (laughs) Amazing. I looked it up and superfluity means an unnecessarily or excessively large amount of something. So in our house we have a superfluity of cake most of the time. So if we think about the the magic porridge pot in the fairy story, but instead of porridge, there's a bubbling overflow of naughtiness in the world sticking to everything it touches. And our choices, what we do and watch and read and buy and say, all have the potential to contribute to the overflow. So, We need to step away from moral corruption, lay aside the filthiness, and make good and lasting daily life choices. And how do we know what those good choices are? We look at James' second step in verse 21. Humbly accept the word planted in you. Or, as the message says, in simple humility, let our gardener God landscape you with the word making a salvation garden of your life i love that (laughs) each of us knows the the things that trigger our anger or tempt us to make poor choices and act sinfully and we also know that we won't grow in discipleship and christ likeness if we keep filling ourselves up with the stuff that stunts us So we need to empty out the rubbish, the superfluity of naughtiness and fully accept and receive and fully obey the word of God. And we can do this by intentionally fostering a teachable heart when we're reading the Bible. By being willing to be challenged and changed and by listening and doing And it's this idea of listening and doing that James tells us about in the next few verses with one of his trademark quirky analogies. We shouldn't just listen to or read God's word and letting it go in one ear and out the other. If we don't act on what we hear, it's as if we've looked into a mirror, turned away and immediately forgotten what we look like and who we are. Now, I'm going to admit something to you and hopefully you'll understand why I chuckled a bit when Matt gave me this passage to preach on. As a result of an illness in my 20s, I have a mild form of, really hard to say, prosopagnosia, which is also known as face blindness. This means I don't recognise or remember people's faces very well, especially out out of context. So if I walk past you in Sainsbury's, or more likely Lidl, without saying hello, I'm not being rude. It's very likely I just haven't recognised you. Not because I don't know you very well, but because my brain is much more used to recognising you in church than in a shop. Anyway, the reason I'm telling you this is because every single time I look in a mirror... I'm ever so slightly surprised by what I see <laughs> because I don't actually recognise or remember my own face very well. It's not that I forget it completely, I just don't remember it in detail. I could probably pick myself out of a line-up but I'd have to work quite hard at it. <laughs> so this verse in James is a funny one for me actually because I do look into a mirror, turn away and immediately forget what I looked like. <laughs> But (laughs) he does have a point. There are lots of different interpretations of the point James is making here. And actually, the nuances in the original text probably imply that James was condensing a few different points into a handful of words. But I'm keeping things fairly straightforward this morning and taking James at face value. His overarching theme is the importance of acting on what we hear or read in God's word. Listening and doing. And the reason we look into a mirror is often to check something about ourselves. If our hair needs brushing, if our collar needs straightening, or if we have a smudge of marmite on our cheek. And these things all need acting on. We wouldn't see the marmite turn away and either forget or not bother to wipe it off. And it's the same if we hear the word of God and either forget or don't bother to act on it. It's, it's like a sort of moral amnesia. And of course, the Bible isn't just an ordinary mirror, is it? Showing us our external features. We're not just shown our marmite smudges on the outside. We're shown our character smudges on the inside. To paraphrase Spurgeon, The word of the Lord is a revealer of secrets. It shows a person, their life, their thoughts, their heart, their inmost self. And no matter how carefully or diligently we read the Bible, if we don't turn reading into action, we're leaving the character smudges exactly where they are. But instead, if we peer carefully, into the Bible. Really look and then do what it says. We will, as James says, be blessed with joy, with peace and with freedom. But hang on James, what do you mean the perfect law that gives freedom? I thought we were saved by following the resurrected Jesus, not by following rules. And Paul says in Ephesians that it is by grace we've been saved, through faith, not by works. So why is James saying we need faith and action? Well, it's important to remember that we aren't saved by our works, we are saved by faith. And on the surface of things, we could see James' teaching as contrasting with Paul's emphasis on being saved by faith alone. But we also need to remember that Paul and James were writing for very different audiences. Paul was writing for the Gentiles, whereas James was writing for Jewish believers. So Paul was defending the Gentiles from Jewish legalism, while James was defending Jews from Gentile laxity. It's very different. Also, the word works actually has several different meanings here. Paul writes of the works of the law. So, the following of all the Levitical commands to the letter. Well, James writes of the works of faith. That is actions informed by our faith. Actions that spring out of healthy faith. So, James isn't saying it's works that save you, but rather that when we are saved by faith, our faith informs and inspires our works or are actions he's saying and I'm definitely paraphrasing if you have faith but don't have faith-informed actions you're absolutely kidding yourself these faith informed actions aren't the works of law that Paul talks about these are daily life outworkings They're the stuff that shows on the outside what or who is living on the inside clue it's Jesus because actually Jesus isn't looking for super fans who know all the best lyrics and sing along at all of his gigs and then go home again unchanged Jesus is looking for disciples doers not just listeners people who are willing to grow and change and be courageously Christ-like every day by living their lives with him at the centre of their thoughts and their words and their actions. And how do we know Jesus wants our actions to be informed by our faith too? Because he taught it. In Matthew 7 at the end, Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's not enough. To just read the Bible as a chore to get through, or even an interesting book of stories and advice. It's not enough just to hear sermons and be entertained, or not, as the case may be. We're not called to be a sermon appreciation society. If we read the Bible because we feel we should tick it off as an exercise we've achieved, or if we listen to sermons and chat about it after lunch, saying things like, well, it started off okay, but she didn't have to go on a bit. Or, oh, I like the funny story about the chicken. We've really missed the point. We need to be listening carefully, mulling things over for ourselves, being willing to change the way we do things because of what we've read and heard, to become more like Jesus. And that's really what James's final, very quick point in verse 27 is all about. On a practical day-to-day nitty-gritty level how do we stop deceiving ourselves and start living faith-informed lives and for James it's so simple care for the homeless and the loveless and guard against corruption from the godless world I read this week that our walk with God is useless if it does not translate into the way we live and speak And treat others. And I found that really challenging and actually a bit upsetting. I don't like the word useless relating to my walk with God. It seems very harsh. But James himself uses the word worthless in a similar context in verse 26. So we do need to take this seriously. A real walk with God causes us to listen carefully to him. And it shows itself in simple practical ways it helps the people who need help it keeps itself clean in amongst the uncleanliness of the world we need to be alert to what god is saying and be willing to make changes small ones and big ones to our everyday lives we need to be obedient when he calls on us to love and care for widows and orphans the homeless and the loveless Because our faith in Jesus is a call to action. Genuine salvation leading to loving, Christ-like living. We're going to respond to what we've been thinking about by singing a song in a few minutes. So now would probably be a good time for the band to start limbering up, please. (coughs) The song starts with the lyrics, Speak, O Lord. As we come to you, to receive the food of your holy word. And this might seem more like a song to sing at the start of a service, saying, as we come to you. but Actually, I really liked the idea of singing it as we prepare to leave church this morning, because it's now that the real listening and doing starts for the week. James Moffat, a Scottish theologian, once said, a teacher or preacher may give an eloquent address but when the sermon is done, it is not done. Something remains to be done by the hearers in life. And if they content themselves with sentimental admiration or with enjoying the emotional or mental treat, they need not imagine that this is religion. I'd like to think James would approve of Moffat. Let's really peer into the bible this week let's go to life group and chew all this over let's really wrestle with what we read and hear and ask God to reveal to us what changes we need to make in our daily lives in order to do and not just listen in order to care for the homeless and the loveless and guard against corruption from the godless world and live as courageously Christ-like disciples and not just Jesus' superfans. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the wisdom of James. Please help us this week as we try to be listeners and doers. We want to be like you. Jesus. Amen.